Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, imagination connoisseurs everywhere. This is your Duke of Dope Discourse, your master of fun and wonder, your viceroy of verisimilitude, and you are listening to the Atomic Podcast, and there's no fallout. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. Coming to you live from Delavan, Wisconsin, where I blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am your host, Efren Guzman. My guest today in 2021, the season premiere, he is back. And you know how long I've been trying to get him back. He is the Duke of Dope Discourse, the, the king of verisimilitude. He is the director, writer, editor, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, welcome back, man. It's great to be back here talking with you in the great state of Wisconsin. Yes. I love it. <laughs> you know, we were just talking. New year, a new president, you know, a new dawn. <laughs> yes. Uh, all, all new beginnings, a new year. Uh, so, you know what? Dude, we're living in the future. 2021. <laughs> yeah, where's... Even Blade Runner took place in 2019. Yeah, where's Spacely Sprockets, man? Where's, like, the big high, you know, the Jetsons cars? Where's all that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you got Elon Musk launching rockets that he's landing back on platforms at sea, you know. Who would have thought you'd see a rocket take off and land? Yep. That... Again, I mean, it's maybe we'll get there. Maybe Spacely Sprockets isn't that far away. <laughs> That's true. Um, first of all, I'm glad you're on, and I appreciate you coming on because I know we've been trying to get you on for a while, and I know you've been busy with all the stuff you've been doing. Which are congratulations on 600 plus observations, YouTube episodes. Like you've been going strong with that. Um, Tango Shalom has won an award in India. Congratulations on that. Thank you for that. You got the Imagination Connoisseur Film Festival going on. Yeah, you have the short story going on. You have a lot of things going on. So it's like, I don't really know where to begin. I know we were talking a little bit about, before we started recording, about um, you moving to California on a whim. Like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take my stuff. I'm going to move to California. I don't know where I'm going to stay at either. And I'm not going to stay at a motel. I'm going to look for a real estate and start, you know, start your plant your foot in California, man. So like from there, you kept on running. Um, there's so many, like, I don't even know where, where to start. There's so many things have been going on. But first of all, taking me back to 2020, which was last year, um, how did that fare for you and your family and, you know, living wise? Well, I gotta say, I mean, I, I kind of feel bad. <laughs> 2020 <laughs> was a really good year for me. Really? Professionally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and because one of the funny things that happened, so, I, you know, I produced this horror movie that came out back in 2009. And it was a direct-to-video horror film that Warner Brothers, we made it for Warner Brothers direct-to-video division. And we, we did it with um, Joel Silver, who produced, like, Die Hard and everything. And it had never been out on Blu-ray before. It kind of was this forgotten movie. I think the studio, frankly, was embarrassed by it. And it's called The Hills Run Red. And we found out that Scream Factory, which is one of my favorite home video companies, Shout Factory slash Scream Factory. Scream Factory is really responsible for putting so many great horror films out. They did a they did a Friday the 13th box set 2020 that was amazing. All the Friday the 13th movies <laughs> put together in one box. So our movie, The Hills Run Red, uh, they they slated it for its first first time on HD 
uh, uh, physical media for a Blu-ray release, and we just contacted them, the director, Dave Parker, and I, and we said, look, you know, this film's never come out on Blu-ray before. I personally, I shot about 30 hours of behind-the-scenes material in Bulgaria, where we shot the movie back in 2008, and I said, we would love to create new special features for you. And they said, fine. You know, they even gave us a bit of a budget. And Dave Parker and I, the movie's only like 82 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And we made six and a half hours of new special features (laughs) (laughs) for the the disc. And it was, I I mean, that was really fun. And, And what was crazy, normally when I did my past work on DVD special features, whether it was X-Men or Lord of the Rings or something like that, you would deliver your material six months before the disc would come out. Mm-hmm. You know, so you had to wait. In this case, we delivered all of our material on May 1st, and it came out in stores and at Amazon and everything on June 16th. So after we went into lockdown here in California, I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do now? You know, And, <laughs> and uh, then then... I started immediately in March creating special features. So for the first two months of our lockdown, I was I was not just doing my YouTube shows and all that, but I was creating these special features. I was going through all the material and going back through all the interviews, interviews I'd shot and crafting this material, and we delivered it in May. And at the same time, I also have been working on a an upcoming Netflix adult anime series, Mm-hmm. And it has not been announced, so it gets announced on February twelfth. Okay. And the the series was immediately given a three year order, so three seasons, th- three seasons of eight episodes. Mm-hmm. So all through twenty twenty, my I am what's called the animatic editor. Yeah. So I did the final pass on the animatics, which is kind of like the rough animation, the black and white rough animation before it gets colored and finished. Okay. So whatever, whatever we did in my computer, I would send it to Korea, to the animation company. It would get animated, and it's based on a, 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 a I can't say what it is, but huh. it's it's fantasy and it's based on something else that if you are a gamer, you might be familiar with. But it's mm. it's a it's a pretty sophisticated adult animation show, and the showrunner was Ashley Edward Miller. He, 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 there's this previously existing concept, but he was pretty much given free reign to create his own mythology and really expand on what the previous IP did. And it's really sophisticated and really interesting. And what was fun for me is I never wanted to knew, know what happened in the next episode. I'm like, just send me the animatic. And I've now, the first season is done, the first eight-episode season. And I finished my role in the second season, and we're almost to the climax of the series. And I'm, like, waiting with bated breath to do the next two episodes. I'm like, when are they coming in? I don't know what happens. You know, and, and um, that was fun. And then at the, the same time, uh, a feature film that I was producing and editing, uh, and I was the special effects supervisor and the post-production supervisor. Again, we finished it just before lockdown. And we were going to send the film out to distributors and everything, but then everything kind of came to a a halt. And so we just spent 2020 entering the movie into film festivals. Mm -hmm. And now, now it's, it's, I think it's, it's gotten into 10, uh, we, we, we've sent it to a bunch of festivals, but so far we're 10 for 14, meaning of the 14 upcoming festivals that are, that are happening soon. 
most film festivals now are virtual, but we got into 10 out of 14 that we entered. And the first of those was in Jaipur, India uh, on the 19th of, of January. And it was the first time anyone, I've been working on this movie for a long time, years, mm-hmm. which starts and stops real indie project. It's called, the movie's called Tango Shalom. And you can see the trailer on, on the YouTube page, Tango Shalom, the movie. And uh, I worked on that trailer uh, at the end of the year, you know, in November and December. Mm-hmm. We launched the trailer, and then the movie played in Jaipur, India, and I was like, wow, I mean, this movie is kind of so American, even though it has a real message of inclusion and religious tolerance in it. Mm-hmm. And they accepted it at this festival in India. I'm like, India, really? <laughs> so I was all worried, but it turns out we won an award at the first festival we played at. We won the Critics Award. The Jaipur India Critics Award went to our film and a film from Italy. And I felt so proud. Like, you know, when you work on these things, a lot of the time, like I worked mostly with the director of the film and we worked for years on and off on the movie. And, you know, when you do that, you wonder, is anyone going to see this movie, especially at the low budget arena? We didn't have any distribution in place, so we've really had to push it ourselves. And we're looking for distribution. We're hoping it gets it gets picked up by an Amazon or a Netflix, and it'll go streaming. Yeah. But you never know. And uh, it's playing in multiple festivals in 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 February and March. It's going to be playing um, at the the next place it plays is in San Diego at the San Diego Jewish Film Festival. Then it's playing in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina at their Jewish Film Festival. It's playing at a festival in New Jersey. It's playing two festivals in Canada. So it's really exciting when you've made a, 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 it's a really, it's a low budget labor of love, but when it gets accepted and people are embracing it, um, it's pretty exciting. So that was my 2020. And in addition to doing hundreds and hundreds, I, I, I had my 300th episode, my 400th episode, my 500th episode and my 600th episode. Well, I just had my 600 of my YouTube show, like in the same year. Wow. And I feel like, my God, how much more can people listen to me talk? <laughs> the thing is, a lot of people love listening to you talk because isn't, that's not the only thing you do, Rob. You have um, um, physical media with you and Dieter Bastian. You have yeah. articulated figures. You're also making um, cameo appearances on other people's podcast show. Um, you also do the John Campia show. Like, you're everywhere, I, man. Like I know. It's, it's just, it's, it's been really uh, nutty. Yeah. The whole the whole thing. I mean, it's it's, uh, and I also feel like, you know, I've been on YouTube since 2015, and I've always kind of felt conflicted about it. I'm like, does being on YouTube and being some kind of a pundit does it does it interfere or does it diminish my professional status as a filmmaker? Like, do people? And I know when I first started, there was a lot of why are you on YouTube? And one of the things it did for me in 2020 was. It energized me. I mean, the whole point of my YouTube channel is one of of inclusion. And when I say inclusion, you know, fans, my whole life, fans have been arguing whether the Battlestar Galactica is stronger than the Starship Enterprise. And you get in these <laughs> knockdown, drag out philosophical arguments, or is Superman more powerful than the Silver Surfer? You know, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I talk about alienating arguments, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, the schism between DC and Marvel is real, but I, I, um, I started this YouTube channel and I didn't really know what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it started, it started, it, the, my channel is called, 
uh, the Burnett work and the show is raw observations. And I realized, because I was never going to do a YouTube show, it was really John Schnepp, the late, great John Schnepp, who said, you know, you, you, you have a sunny disposition and you should, you should bring your, your, your particular brand of happiness to the web. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know what that means, bruh, but okay. And, um, um, and then my girlfriend a couple of years ago bought me a Yeti microphone that I'm talking about right now yeah. for, for Christmas. And she goes, okay, it's time for you to start a YouTube channel. Wow. And what's been great is, is, you know, I just, I love little catchphrases. So I'm, you know, this idea of, I've always thought of, instead of, I never liked the word geeks because of its origins and nerds. Yeah. They just sound, they're kind of like onomatopoeias. They sound like what they are and yeah. nerds and geeks. Yeah, like derogatory. Sounded, yeah. yeah. They always sounded derogatory. So I'm like, you know what? Everybody who's a nerd or a geek who, or who feels like they're an outcast is usually because they have, they have pursued either an intellectual pursuit or, or some kind of a hobby that has somehow branded them as strange or odd or non-mainstream or something. And I'm like, you know what? I wanted to come up with a new term. And so my new term for this was imagination connoisseur. Mm -hmm. So instead of a nerd or a geek, you're an imagination connoisseur. And I'm like, nobody can disparage that. Yes. You know, you can, you can, you can say that proudly. And, and, um, uh, so that's, uh, I, 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 uh, said my community, you're all, whoever watches my show, you're part of, you're an imagination connoisseur, which is why you're here. And then the community itself, I've always believed, like when I was growing up, I mean, I was a massive, I mean, I, I, I was a massive nerd. I was a geek and a nerd, but I also was a very social kid because like loving Star Trek, the message of Star Trek to me was, you know, when they said boldly go, the Starship Enterprise sure would boldly go throughout the universe, the galaxy. But I always took it to mean that we, you meaning you, you individuals out there, mm -hmm. you, you should boldly go. Boldly mm -hmm. go where you've never gone before. Like, get a passport. Well, mm -hmm. now you can't during the lockdown the pandemic. But <laughs> or get an apartment. Yeah. Yeah, go see the world. Yeah. You know, go do something like, and I often said that, you know, I, I, at one point, play a game with yourself, which is one day, like on a weekend, get up at six in the morning and and drive, say, two and a half hours, like, say, 160 miles from where you live, this guy in whatever direction, and go to a town you've never been to. And just pick a town, like, like and read about it. You know, find a town that's within 100, like, that you can get to in two and a half to three hours. Get up at six in the morning. You'll be there at nine a.m. and and find a place. Like do some research and go have breakfast at a diner, and just go explore the town. Like go to the library of that town. <laughs> find the ta the local tavern. You know, yeah. and go in there and talk to some people. Like go have an adventure, man. You know, and I've always thought that that, that and that's something I've actually been toying with uh, for my YouTube channel. Uh -huh. uh, I I I was I I was gonna. Maybe call it like 120. It's, there used to be a show on MTV called 120 Minutes. Yeah. I wanted to do a show called 120 Miles, <laughs> and just just drive 120 miles away from your house. Yeah, and and just see the world and go meet people, you know, and 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 talk to them and and have adventures because you know if there's one thing, the divisiveness of this country, how divisive it's become. We're all Americans, mm -hmm. you know. It doesn't matter what you're 
political party is. It doesn't matter what your religious background is or what race you are or however you identify what your sexual identity is. We're all Americans. And presumably, we all believe in the Constitution, the the Bill of Rights. You know, we the people, in order to find a uh, more perfect union, establish justice and assure domestic tranquility, Mm -hmm. you know, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and uh, all of that stuff. If we're all Americans, that's something you can always build on. You know, you can always be like, hey, we're all part of the the American dream. So despite our differences at some point, on some base level we all are americans so we should all be able to talk to each other and let's find that common ground and and i think that what's what's been interesting to me about uh what's happened in this country especially over the pandemic Mm. is i think we've forgotten that you know and and especially when we're all locked away in our homes and you're you're on the internet all the time and people can foment anger within you. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. I mean, I still believe that like, you know, if you, I, I always think about the movie witness where Harrison Ford goes undercover in an Amish community. Yeah. And one of the, there's a scene in that movie where the whole community comes out and raises a barn. Now somebody, if somebody needs to build a barn, the whole community comes out and helps them build a barn. Yeah. They come together. Well, yeah. yeah. They come together. And I still think like, if you live in your neighborhood, I mean, I live in LA, but, but I still think, like, you know, if you were going to build, like, I just built a shed with my girlfriend in the backyard, but it was in the backyard. But if people saw us building the shed, I bet neighbors would come out and go, hey, man, you need some help? Yeah. And I really believe that Americans, at their core, if people need, like, if they can see you, they will come and help. Yeah. Like, the problem with the Internet is we can't see each other. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're face to face with another person, and that's why I think one of the most detrimental things about this whole pandemic and being locked down is we've forgotten that people, as Depeche Mode saying, people are people, mm-hmm. and we, we we're not seeing people, we're not looking into their eyes. We're like, I think one of the things that I miss the most is just like going to my local movie theater and and whether I'm sitting next to people, just seeing people going to and fro, like mm-hmm. going into a store. You know, or being at a restaurant, hearing the clinking of yeah. silverware and, and utensils yeah. and just the sounds of other people. I really miss mm-hmm. that. Yeah, like I even miss like going to the bathroom and like trying to get a stall and I can't get a stall because I want to hurry back to see the movie. But sometimes I try not to get up during the movie, but like little things like that, like I'll reflect on like, man, I remember when I used to like, I had to hold my pee because I had to go to the bathroom. But I didn't want to miss this part. And then there's, yep. you know, there's people there or just getting like popcorn. Some of it is stale and some of it is not like the little things, you know. I think yeah, those little, yeah. absolutely, man. And um, you know, I think I think that one of the one of the things that I, you know, obviously America is imperfect. We saw a lot of social unrest with the Black Lives Matter movement and yeah. the riots that we had. Oh but, yeah. You know, it, it's it's. I always look back to the movie The Godfather, and I'm like, you know, all the lessons in life are in The Godfather. Yeah. I think that, I think Steve Martin said that in Lawrence Kasdan's movie Grand Canyon. I believe it. But in The Godfather, they say, you know, every couple of years you need to have like a gang war because it gets rid of all the bad blood. That's what they said in The Godfather. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, one of the things that we've forgotten uh, to deal with in America is the problems that we have. And, and I think that the result of um, some of these problems are, you know, I think everybody was shocked to see – 
what happened to George Floyd. Yeah. And I think there was a lot, there's a lot more going on there, but, but, you know, sometimes Americans need a kick in the face to start dealing with problems. And hopefully, you know, what happened will be the beginning of a journey that will lead to, um, uh, more justice, more peace, and more uh, realization of there is a lot of people that are not getting their their due, and and they're not getting their own. The, what America stands for must it must be upheld for everyone, not just who's most convenient or who's most profitable to do so. I I, I mean I think that's one of the things that I think Americans uh, and America as a country has forgotten is that things like, for instance, education. Mm-hmm. I believe that the the two things that Americans need most is they need great education and great health care. Yeah. And without, without those things, so for instance, if you have a low-income neighborhood or a low-income community that you have a lot of single-parent households, those are the places that need great school districts, districts the most. We should be spending extra money bringing in after-school programs, bringing in the best teachers, you know, because uh, having, when you're helping people get a leg up, and especially education is so important, kids need a place where they can explore their own interests for their own sake. They're not just taking tests for tests' sake. Education and knowledge is worth, the value of it is immeasurable because you never know the kind of connections I grew up in a, I, I had a fairly affluent community, but I went to public school. But our public schools were well-funded because we had school levies every year, and since everybody had kids, the school levies, people would, would, would pay their taxes to get the, the schools paid for. And the after-school programs, whether it's arts programs or drama programs or sports programs or music programs, there was all kinds of programs. I was in a school newspaper. I didn't even know that I would have liked that. It just seemed like an interesting class. It turns out... I really loved it. I became the feature editor of the newspaper, and back then we had to typeset the newspaper and you know, use chart pack tape and <laughs> computers. And it was something I, I enjoyed that I never would have known that I enjoyed had I not been able or not had a newspaper course. And and I think you know kids need that ability to explore. And the problem with America is now we want to know well who's going to profit from this. Yeah. And my answer to that is sometimes profit is not in the the ledgers. The profit comes when you have a population of of people that are motivated, they're intelligent, they're self reliant, and they know that the, the the country their country cares for them. You know, and I think that begins with our education system. When kids know that, that they've got a vibrant and um, exciting place to learn, and they're not just learning facts and figures, they can take a test well. I mean, education is its own benefit, and you never know how, in 20 or 30 years, a kid who had a great education, what they're going to grow up and be able to do. Yeah. And it's not something, and we need more of that. We also need our healthcare system. Everything in this country is for profit. And I'm, look, I'm a capitalist through and through. But you need a capitalist system that where, where everybody is not, oh, well, let's, I need to, I need to get the most profit possible because, Capitalism works when you have also a vibrant group of people that are entrepreneurs when not everyone is getting – everyone's getting a, a ch- – like we have a whole huge homeless problem in L.A. It costs half a million dollars to build one 
one bit of low-income housing because every group has to get their taste. You know, they all get a little bit of that cheddar, that money. And it's like, look, man, do we want to solve the homeless problem or do we want to fund all of these different groups that want to get rich off our social programs as they build homes? Yeah. No, we have to we have to decide to say, look, we need to solve this problem. And and I don't think, you know, you got to look at this as a loss leader to make our world a better place. And I'm hoping that maybe after, you know, what's going on with the how, how, how divided the country is, that maybe we can start getting back to the business of being Americans again, because I think we've forgotten. Yeah, I certainly hope so, because to me, this country is still, and I think, I think you know, some ways it will always be divided. There's always going to be that section of people that believe a certain thing, and there's, you know, I just think that's just something that's just the norm, and, you know, it's, it's hard, because it all depends on the communities you live in. If you're, like, coming from New York City, being in a diverse community, coming to the Midwest, and being around people who are usually all the same, they've never been exposed to culture. A lot of people who's never really been exposed to culture. If you consider going to Milwaukee, because Milwaukee is a major city, being exposed to different ethnicities, then, like, you sort of have an idea of what how the other people are living. But it's like, if you're, like you say, if you live in a bubble... You have no idea. You only you only see what you see in the media, and sometimes the media is wrong in a lot of different aspects too. Because you know you'll see one one side of it, but you don't see the other side. So like you know you hear political pundits or people or news reporters commentating on certain events that happen in the communities and whatnot, but you don't know what led to people doing activism in their communities. Like there's there's two sides to every story. There's always like you know two sides, but you always hear one side, but you you don't hear the other you know but i think it's always going to be that way I, I you know i just don't see i don't know i don't see a kumbaya happening like two or three years from now i really don't see it no i i don't think that's going to happen but but the the i think the awareness that there are what you just said there are two sides to every story and i think that even that awareness would be helpful mm -hmm. you know to realize that look our baseline i think everybody wants to be able to take care of themselves take care of their families mm-hmm and and i think that we can all agree hopefully on that yeah and um you know again i think a lot of the problem too has been people have been sort of literally locked away this year and yeah. they stew in their own juices yeah. and when you get out into the world look coming from new york one of the things i mean it's hard now with the how much money it costs to live in New York City. Oh yeah. But, although that's that's really come down because of what's happened this year. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe people with all these all this empty housing, people will be able to come back in New York. <laughs> but um, uh, but I think when you're living in New York, one of the things I've always loved about going down when I've been there is that you know, and being in New York, you um, uh, uh, there's so many different kinds of people that you're walking right past on yeah. the uh, on the street. Yes, exactly. And you realize you're yeah. part of this this vibrant community that um that uh is is incredible oh you see people of all shapes sizes colors creeds walks of life and that's what makes new york such an important place i think yeah it's the only place i remember like even being here in wisconsin where new york you could walk past a pizza shop you could walk past a polish restaurant you could walk walk past like a moroccan restaurant all in one block you know it's like oh okay i have different you know and they're legit it's not like you know like if certain pizza shops you you know because there's in new york you have a lot of mexicans running pizza shops or they're like cooks in the back but you'll have pizza shops that are 
Italian pizza shops or Italian cooks, you know, and you'll if you go to a Mexican restaurant, you have a actual Mexicans that are doing it. A Moroccan restaurant, actual Moroccans are the cooks, an actual Moroccan own. So like you have culture right there. Like if you never like experienced anything like that, or street food from like, you know, the halal food or whatnot. Like everything is there, you know? Like, you know, I haven't seen that yet where I'm at, but I, I think I, I don't know. I think probably I'm not I don't know. I don't know if California's like that. Like, do you have like places where you have different you know, culture type foods at different restaurants in the same vicinity. Oh yeah, you do, but the the problem is you have to drive to get there. Ah, okay. You know, and, and the the great thing about I love about New York is it's it's a walking yes. public transportation city. Yeah. And you're 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 a part of the the throngs, the masses of humanity that are like I love a busy day in New York. The sidewalks are packed with people going to and fro, or the subways and and all that. I I mean I I. I really love that about New York and I I've always loved that about New York and I I think that's one of the great things about that city is you're constantly reminded of all the different kinds of people that you live with and work with and exist side by side with and what I, I think there's something to be said for that because you know you realize that that all of us everybody doesn't matter oh that's my dog Gilbert sorry about oh, that oh Gilbert has um, cameo appearance he, <laughs> yeah. he um He's wondering why I don't have a bag of cookies to uh, give him his dog treats out of, but I, I ran out of them. I, I, I forgot to get them this morning, and I have a new bag for him. But, um, but you, you, you know, you see these people, you see all different kinds of people, and you realize we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things I've always loved about New York. And in New York, there's so much culture. There's there's a million different things going on in the city all the time, and you never know what um, what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah. and i love that yeah that is so true that, i think you know that's what i miss about the city i miss like you know seeing different ethnicities eating different types of foods i just miss seeing that in the city you know i really do miss that I, yeah i know it's yeah. true you know um going back to you rob I, I know we were talking about youtube and you know it's kind of cool hearing that schnepp was your inspiration for doing the youtube channel so you think if schnepp never put that idea in your head would you have have even ever thought about doing it yourself well, I mean, being on YouTube, you know, I'd thought about, I'd thought about it, but, okay. you know, it was Schnepp telling me that. I'm like, well, if you think so, <laughs> you know, because I admired <laughs> him so much. Yeah. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe I'll try that then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because look at it, look look at you now. Who would ever thought from your first episode where you're just talking to the people and 600 plus later now you're collaborating with other YouTubers and other shows like look at where you're at now, you know, and, you know, some people might not think that, that that's the way, but, you know, technology and YouTube is the way YouTubers are like there's people who do that for a living. They're, they do that. That's their job. You know, they yeah, do that I mean, for a living. It's yeah. kind of become that for me, too. It's definitely yeah. become like a business you can't you can't not think of it that way because if you're on youtube for any length of time and you do get monetized you know it is when you when you have a worldwide reach whether it's ad revenue or whether you get things like super chats and tips it does become i mean my my goal with youtube when i first started i'm like okay if i'm gonna do my own channel i'd like to be able to pay my rent mm -hmm. pay my rent and pay the power bill yeah um because I am, it is work. I mean, people don't understand. Like, there is a lot of work involved. And now I've done things like I started a film festival in 2020. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and that's all work and it's become definitely a job, definitely, uh, uh, an, uh, it augments my income, but also, you know, being on with John Campy, I've learned like Campy is always buying new camera equipment and he's always trying to, um, accentuate the viewer experience for people that are watching a show on YouTube. So he's always trying to make it better by making it look better and bringing the, making the production better. And, um, it is it is a job and you are what's really interesting i think the difference in the six years that i've been on youtube i have watched things change like for instance if you watch joe rogan or you watch yeah. like um uh dave rubin or people that are regularly interviewing uh, doing long form interviews of people the modern media the networks and the news channels the 24 hour news channels they're not doing three-hour interviews with people. Mm -hmm. But somebody sits down with Joe Rogan, you can really delve into whatever issue he's covering mm -hmm. and learn so much. Yeah. And and this is something that didn't exist before. Like when I started on YouTube, the conventional wisdom was that everything had to be short, that nobody would watch these long-form videos. I mean, my shows are usually two hours long, and people watch them. Mm -hmm. You know, and they like... I think they like that kind of engagement. And, you know, I think people are sick and tired of, maybe not sick and tired, but, but they're tired of these, this sound bite journalism. Yeah. And they miss, you know, Charlie Rose got me too. I understand, but they miss those long form yeah. sit downs where people can like this, like this podcast we're doing now. Yeah. People miss that. And, and YouTube has provided yeah. a venue where, Everybody can connect. Now you're seeing celebrities with their own YouTube channels. I mean, Michael Rosenbaum does these really interesting interviews with people. Yeah. He played Lex Luthor in Smallville. Yeah, Inside um, of You. Yeah, his podcast. Inside yeah, I, I love his show. I mean, even yeah. Brie Larson started her own channel. And it's it's been interesting to watch YouTube as I think, look, can it be used for nefarious reasons? Sure. Are there a lot of people that are, well, a lot of dicks on YouTube? Yes. People that aren't nice? Certainly. But there's also, I mean, you got to take the good with the bad. That's that's just that's human nature. Yeah. But I do think YouTube, in the six years I've been doing it, has really evolved and changed, yeah. and and become uh, a vibrant way of communicating, long form and communicating ideas to people on a mass scale. And I think that's great. Well, I think also what well, you hit the nail on the head right there. The thing about what you do and other YouTubers is like, you're not the star of the show. Like, you know, you are the star of the show, but everyone is a star from the Richard Willow Yang, everybody who's in the comment, the chat, the chat board, the members of the post geek singularity, everybody is a host and everybody contributes in some way. You know, your cheesemonger contributes in some way. Dieter Bastian, everyone is, is integral in your part of, you know, observations. So I think that what makes it good because people can participate. They can talk, they can have an opinion. They can send you a super chat. Um, they can give you ideas. You know, everyone is integral in part of your community. That's what makes it. Well, you know, it makes me so happy to hear you say that because that was one of the things that I think surprised me the most is how I react to the people that have become part of the channel. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, I've never met most of them. Sometimes we'll do zoom parties and all that. I haven't spoken face to face with a lot of people, but the fact that the, the, the people that watch my channel, I read their letters and, I've had them on and I think of them as, as I like, they're, they're the, they're not my family, but they're the family of the channel itself. Mm -hmm. They're, they're members of, you know, I call it the post geek singularity. 
that's the name of my audience because we all were all of our geeky and nerdy pursuits were sort of closeted but now we've won we've won that battle we've taken over the world we live in a sci-fi world now Mm -hmm. and all of those whether it was star trek or star wars or lord of the rings or harry potter all of these things are made in the marvel cinematic universe they're mainstream not only are they mainstream they dominate culture and so uh, that's where i came up with the term the post geek singularity meaning there's a guy named ray kurtzfile who wrote a book called the coming singularity about when uh computers and ai become sentient self-aware so that's what's called the singularity so he wrote, wrote this book called the singularity is near and i'm like well if that's the case if there was such a thing as a geek singularity we're already that already happened you know and we're living in that world so that's why i say our audience is the post geek singularity so when people come to talk to me about whether it's video games or tesla and elon mm-hmm. musk and spacex or all of it we're living in this sci-fi world now which which um that's kind of what i celebrate on my channel yeah and you know people love it too you know like look at your community look at the fans and look at the people who are putting in movies and doing short stories now so you know like everyone is contributing to observations in some way form or another everyone's contributing you know that's that makes it special yeah i mean and again I, i just love hearing you say that because um yeah i i think that um i think that's the way we have to be mm-hmm. uh, I, I i mean we have to start we have to start building communities we have to start because i think that's what people want you know we're social creatures mm-hmm. and we we want communities we want to be part of something yeah. and and what's interesting is i think look you have to make a choice as a person you have to make a choice about being a part of a, a community that is either going to be um, a vibrant, growing, helpful community or not. And I think that there's a lot of people that, um, you know, people are always asking me now that I'm deep into middle age, they're always asking me that well, you, you seem happy all the time as one, if that's a bad thing. But two, I'm like, well, you know, the promise of the world, we might not have flying cars and I, I don't have bionic enhancements, you know, and I can't just plug in and learn Kung Fu like Neo in the Matrix if I want to. Um, but for the most part, if you really look at our world, yeah, you could choose to say we have issues, very huge pressing issues with the environment. We have social issues. We have all kinds of injustice. We still have poverty in the world. We still have a lot of a lot of things that are going on that are not good. But on the other hand, uh, humanity is in one of the best positions it's ever been in. There is less pestilence and famine. There is less war. There mm-hmm. is more security now. I mean, it might not seem that way, but if you look at like actuary tables from decades or centuries past, we're, we're not doing so bad. But, you know, I read this book recently by this Israeli historian named Yuval Harari, and he wrote two books, and one of them is called Sapiens. And Sapiens is about the last 100,000 years of human history. And that book makes that argument that basically at the end of the book, you you read all about our history and how we've not been such nice people, obviously, to one another. But he's very optimistic when he gets to the end of the book. But he poses a question that I think about almost every day. And his question was, humanity as a race, and we are one race. There's no different races amongst human beings. There's one 
human race. And despite the fact that we have regional differences, because people grew up like, for instance, if you're if you're uh, black, you you became black because you grew up in a, your ancestors grew up in a world with lots of sun, and 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 more melanin in the skin was protection from the sunlight. And when you, depending on where you are from in the world, your differences are just reactions over the many thousands of years to environmental conditions. But that doesn't mean you're any different than anyone else. We are the same. Our race, our race is the same. We can all procreate with one, one another. We're the same race. So what Har- Harari asks at the end of this book is he says, we as the race, we as the human race, need to ask ourselves, what is it we want? Like as human beings, what do we want for our entire race? What do humans want? What do we want to accomplish? Where are we going? Are we just going to make more of ourselves and consume the planet and eventually run out of everything we need to survive? Or are we as a race going to decide to better ourselves in a long-term project that's going to last thousands and thousands of years where we can hopefully evolve, become the best we can be, move out amongst the stars. And I know that's kind of kumbaya thinking, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think we do need to start thinking that way. Cause look, you know, I look back at things like the great pyramids, right? The great pyramids are over 4,000 years old. When Rome was at its height over 2,000 years ago, the pyramids were already 2,000 years old. So when ancient Rome was at the height of its power running what was what was the planet at the time, the pyramids had already been there for 2,000 years. Hmm. So I know most people can't think in these terms because they're like thinking they have hard enough time, you know, paying rent every week, <laughs> yeah, much less thinking about where we should go as a race. But you know what? I think, and again, this is me being idealistic, but I mm-hmm. think if humanity, all of us as a race, we had some kind of in the back of our minds a collective goal of some kind. You know, and I think that one of the, the things that is part of that is is conquering the stars. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine I watch shows like The Expanse and I know space is hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard to be a belter, it's hard to live on Mars trying to terraform a planet to make it habitable for human life. This is not easy. But I think I think that can be part of a collective dream humanity might have to conquer the solar system, to get out there and something something's going to happen one day, whether we find something or make something or somehow space, the great unknown, the great infinitude of the cosmos is going to become desirable in some way. Maybe we'll find an asteroid that has more minerals than we've ever dug up ever in the world, making it the most valuable thing in space. More people will want to find asteroids like that, or maybe we'll find uh, a place. If we find we there's indications there's water on the moon, which means setting up a moon base will be much easier. Maybe that'll happen, you know. And and once we broaden our horizons, maybe we'll stop bashing each other over bashing each other on the head or hating somebody because they have a different skin color than we do. I mean, what a waste of time yeah. that is. Yeah, but not just me thinking, you know. Uh, wanting the world to be a better place, but yeah. not just wanting the world to be a better place, but wanting to see human beings. You know, I've often said on my show that in all of the infinitude of the universe, the, there's only, I mean, unless you're a twin, every single person <laughs> yeah. on this planet is unique. 
there's not another one of you in the yeah. entire universe. Yeah. And and that's amazing. And every single person that gets made, you'd think that, okay, well, there's another person here. But they're different. There's nobody who's the same as they are. And and what you know, everywhere else in the universe there's more of there's there's at least all of the molecules that make up what human beings are. They they're a dime a dozen. But the way they're put together, every single person Every single person is the rarest thing on this planet, each individual. And yet, we spend so much time hating each other. When you should really think about the fact that as a baseline, everybody on this planet is unique and amazing and a rare thing. And when they're gone, they're never gonna, they're never gonna be here again. Yeah. And uh, we need to think more along those lines, I think. Yeah, that's true, and then, you know, there's there's people who don't speak, like family members who don't speak to each other, or there's friends who break up, and then like you know you regret like oh my god I should have called that person because when that person's gone they're gone and you know it's almost in that sort of way where you can't make up for lost time and there's so many you know there's people people are are so much alike that if they learn to appreciate what the other person likes they have. There's a, there's a need for a conversation. There's needs for, you know, topics. There's needs for YouTube shows, you know, because you're different from everybody else. You have all race and religion on your podcast. You know, you have people who are Democrats, Republicans. You have people who are black, white, Asian. You have so many people, but we all come together because we all have a common goal and we all have a lot in common, as you can see. Like, you know, all nationalities, we all like pretty much the same things. We may not agree on Star Trek or Discovery, but every everybody has their niche of what they like and it's a common commonality commonality with everybody you know yeah and uh i i think we need to start i mean i don't know how to get there's so much tribalism now and and people are picking sides and everybody wants to be part of a group yeah um but really i, I mean i'm an individualist i believe in 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 individual human achievement um uh collectivism is fine and i think that there is a place i think social programs are vital Mm -hmm. you know but we shouldn't be afraid of socialism type programs but as a you know as i i think the individual people need the opportunity to grow and pursue what they want to pursue you know i one of the things that i think is so strange about our society is people are not equal and when I say people are not equal, I'm not talking about race. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about... We're all different. Yeah. Every single human being, every single person, there's only one of each of us. Mm-hmm. One of each of us. And we're all different. And, and, and that's what makes us beautiful. And that's what makes us so rare. And, and yet this idea that, well, every, every single person is the same. Well, they're not the same. I'll tell you what is the same. This human spirit... The human mm-hmm. spirit, whatever is in us, whatever makes us conscious, well, that's equal. Mm-hmm. Everybody who has a human spirit, and that's every single person who's alive, there's no human spirit that's better than another. And that's mm-hmm. what I think people are talking about, you know, when you talk about equality. Mm-hmm. You know, we, so, we always want to point to the external differences. But no, the external differences and all of our differences are what make us valuable. And that's what I what I think is is so strange. When we talk about equality, what we need to do is we want we want to we want to make sure that all of our, all of the crazy rainbow colored people from around the world that everybody has an opportunity to pursue their own individualism. 
You know, that's what we want. We want everybody to realize, like, my God, what we want is everybody to find what makes them unique and go out and, and do something with it. You know, and, and that's why if we value everyone and everybody is valued, everybody is seen as, every single human being is seen as having value. And they do. And that's why I say on my show that every single person you meet has, every single person you meet has a story to tell that you haven't heard. They have some experience. I mean, we talk about the fact that there's a lot of groups nowadays that are that never had voices, whether it's LB, LGBTQ or whether it's people of color or the, they, the people. And that's what we need to bring forward is all of the voices, all the stories that people could tell. You know, it's not about it's not so much about the color of someone's skin. It's about what has the color of their skin? How has that affected their lives in ways that a lot of people don't know or don't understand those are the voices that we have to hear mm. we need to hear what everybody has to say and we need to understand like I, you know i went to back in 2018 i went to south korea and it was the first time ever i think i really understood i mean really understood what it was like to be a minority in the united states mm. because seoul is not the most diverse city in the world it's a great city i loved it and i love the people i i met but you know i was a six foot one white dude walking <laughs> around in a city i mean there was no white privilege in seoul let me tell you <laughs> and, you know you walk into a store and people look at you funny and i'm like oh you know i'm like this is what it was like to be black in america you can't just walk into any store and go like i want to buy a candy bar yeah i need yeah. A, i need some toothpaste yeah. no i walk into a store there and everyone's like looking sideways at me <laughs> And I'd never, I'd never experienced that before because I'd only relatively been in, I'd travel around the world, but mostly in European countries or countries like New Zealand and Australia. But in South Korea, you know, they don't speak the language. Not everybody knows English. And, and it was like being in an alien environment and everybody looked funny at you. Hmm. Not funny, more like they're more curious and, and uh, like, what are you doing here? You know, why are you here? And it was it was the first time I realized what it was like to be different. But but it's it's one thing to intellectually understand that, but it's a whole nother thing to like walk into a store and have somebody look funny at you and and you're like, oh, I'm right. I'm I'm a foreigner. I'm an I'm part of the minority here. <laughs> you know, and you don't until you've experienced it, you don't really understand it. And that's what I mean. The, the stories, we need to hear those voices. That's why it's so important that we have diversity when it comes to the voices that we're hearing from. Yeah. So we can hear these tales. We can understand these these stories. It's not, it's not, you know, you don't want to hire people just because somebody's from East India or somebody's Asian or somebody's black or somebody's gay. It's not about that. It's about what they know because they're that way that we don't. It's what do what what do they have to teach us? What can we learn? Like bring on the more diversity we have in people making movies, the more interesting movies will become because we'll hear stories and we'll get points of view that we haven't heard before. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need so people understand. You know, and 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 that's the kind of thing that I want to I want to hear more. I want to hear just the more people that are available to tell their tales, the better off we're gonna be. 
Yeah. And the thing is, you sort of, in a way, put that for people, too, with your film festival and your short story contest, because people have an opportunity to show what they couldn't show probably to other people and showing it to the to the community, showing it to the Post Geek Singularity community and showing it to other people out there. So, you know, you're also contributing to that. And, we, you know, I'm sure I speak for everybody is saying that we appreciate you. So thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. But it's something I I really do believe in that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really do believe uh, that that is, it's possible. I mean, I think that, that um, you know, that's what we need moving forward. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to change our ways of thinking, and we need to change our, our the way we think of one another. And uh, I think ultimately, we need to value one another more than we do. But I don't mean, I don't mean just saying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our society needs to, we need to start building into our culture uh, the value of other people. So you don't have to have activists going out there and demanding respect. Mm-hmm. We need our cultures to to have that respect built into them. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I don't know how quite we would do that, but um, if we can do it, I think it would be pretty spectacular. Yeah. What a wonderful world it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. I know, right? <laughs> I know it's 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 pretty. Uh, it, it's pretty. I sound like some, you know, <laughs> I don't know, kumbaya. I, I'm very aware. I'm very aware that what I'm saying is sounds impossible, and I know it. It's going to take a lot of work, and I'll not see it in my lifetime. But you know, yeah, <laughs> we can get started now. Yeah, you know, like, you know, every year is a new slate on the blackboard, I like to say. So 2021 is definitely a new slate on the blackboard. And um, hopefully it'll be better. Well, you said 2020 was a good year for you. But I mean, like for, I guess, uh, mostly a, a lot of other people who had a miserable year, hopefully 2021, things will change around, hopefully, you know? Yeah, I hope so, too. You know, I hope so too. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit, because I know you have your short story contest coming up. Talk a little bit about that. I know you put the rules and everything out there, but give me a condensed format of what are the rules are for the short story contest. Well, basically, it started out, you know, people have asked me, what is an imagination connoisseur? And I, <clears throat> I always kind of have a different answer. But I, I thought, okay, we just had a film festival, and people have asked me, they like the contest, and I figure, okay, I love books. I, I own thousands of books. I'm buying books all the time. I've always wanted to publish a book. Actually, I've always wanted to write a book, but I haven't done that yet. But to publish a book, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you have a short story competition? And, and my audience, I call them imagination connoisseurs, and I figure I wanted to publish an anthology, and the anthology is going to be called The Imagination Connoisseurs. And the premise of the book is, what does that mean? What does that term mean? So the the underlying, I guess, theme of the book is all of the short stories should in some way, shape, or form relate back to being either what does it mean to be an imagination connoisseur? How did you become an imagination connoisseur? Maybe you're going to write a short story, that you, a horror or science fiction story that you think would appeal to imagination connoisseurs. Uh, I'm going to leave it completely wide open. Okay. But the theme of the book, the title of the book is The Imagination Connoisseurs. And anybody can enter, and the stories, we want the stories between 5,000 and 10,000 words. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how many stories we're going to get. I don't know. Uh, we have to pay charge an entry fee of 25 bucks, only because I'm going to have to pay some people to read these stories. Yeah. Um, I can't be the only one because they're going to be a lot of work. And uh, that's what we're going to do. And, and we're going to publish, I think that we're having the, the short story contest goes on until mid-April. 
and then we're going to get the stories. And I think the most fun for me is well, I'm going to pick one of the stories and I'm going to make a short film out of it. Wow. So you're going to, so, so you're going to fly that person. If that person wins, who's let's say in Wisconsin or wherever, you're going to fly that person out to California to. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's tough because of COVID, Yeah. but, um, you know, we will be making that film. We're going to make a short film, which I think will be a lot of fun. Wow. And no wonder you got to hire people to do it. That's a lot of reading because I'm sure you're going to get a lot of entries for that. That's going to be a lot yeah. of reading. Ooh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping we do. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see. Again, and it's a way to create engagement and participation. And also, you know, I may, may be hoping somebody picks up a pen and paper or turns on their word processor. Their, listen to me, I'm 10,000 years old. Their computer, whatever, their iPad, whatever you're going to use. Um and write a story and you might never have written a story before and maybe somebody will be like hey I, I really like this maybe maybe there's something to it maybe I have something that I can offer mm-hmm. and um, uh, they might who knows write the next great American novel yeah winding down Rob I got a few interesting questions for you and hopefully you will answer them sure what's been your worst sexual experience ever ooh that's a what a change of pace <laughs> Worst sexual experience ever. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Okay. There was a a a girl that I really liked, uh, starting in junior high school. Okay. And it wasn't until in college I I had an experience. I had an opportunity. I drove this person home, and and she took me into her house, and. She, in a very weird clinical way, she said that she wanted me to make love to her. Okay. So, but she just took off all her clothes, took me into this room that was incredibly brightly lit, and just laid down and wanted me to, we had intercourse. Yeah. And she didn't participate at all. It was almost like she was almost like a rag doll that was lying there. (laughs) And, you know, for me, I mean, my own sexuality, uh, the thing that I like is when both people are into it. Yeah. Like, guys are, I'm a horny guy. I mean, I like pleasing my partner. Yeah. You know, I like touching them, caressing them, and making them feel good. And I, my, most of my experiences have been with women who felt the same way. You know, and and they, they get turned on. And when you're, when you're, by pleasing their partner, and when you're, when you have two people like that getting together, you can make some magic happen. Yeah. But in this case, it was it was her idea, but completely non-participatory from her end. Wow. And it was just it was just strange and creepy. She must have felt like um, a freaky rapist or something, right? Like she wasn't moving. It was bizarre. <laughs> I mean, look, she was the thing is, I always she was a beautiful girl. Yeah. So it wasn't like totally it was like not like it was not unenjoyable because I could I could appreciate her from an aesthetic standpoint and she was beautiful and she smelled beautiful and she felt great but I'm like this is it just felt I, I walked away I mean what I, I, I had to do it I, yeah. mean, I took the opportunity but, but when I left yeah. I just felt bad I'm like oh what, what just happened man <laughs> so that was probably the worst wow but I wouldn't I don't know if it was it was it was the, it, it was just unsettling yeah. and I felt bad afterwards and that was the only time I ever felt bad 
after a sexual experience. Oh, so that really kind of fucked up your head right there, though, because you were just like, okay, she's not participating. I'm the one doing everything, and she's just laying there like, okay, like, are you enjoying yourself? Are you okay? Like, Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I, I, see, here's the thing. I, I've always prided myself. I, I, I have a ladies first philosophy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that I apply to all facets of my life, and I've, I've discovered, I discovered early on, if you if you if you learn the skills where you can um, deliver on that lady's first philosophy, whether that means you're a cunning linguist or you're good with your hands, <laughs> uh, I found that life is better yeah. if uh, the ladies are feeling good. Yeah, and then you're secondary, right? It doesn't matter as long as she's okay, you're good, right? Is better. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I feel it's I feel it's satisfying. Gotcha. Because gotcha. I just I love women. You know, yep. <laughs> any chance to climb all over them it's, and uh, yeah. put any, all parts of their bodies in my mouth. I'm, I'm a good, good. <laughs> even even in, in um in um South Korea when you went there, was there a lot of like women that you were attracted to over there when you went over there? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, obviously I was with my girlfriend, so oh okay, gotcha. I, I, mean, I wasn't gotcha. with my girlfriend over there, but but I I you know I'm monogamous, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I I I find I love Asian women. Yeah, you know, I grew up, I grew up. I mean, I, to be honest, I find beautiful women everywhere yeah. like i find i really do find like like my taste in women uh is wildly it, 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 it of all again all shapes sizes colors and creeds like i think i think lapita nyango is one of the most beautiful women in the world yeah. you know and she's she's black but she's got that that african dark like ethiopian black skin there's yeah. that one model that's really i don't know if you've ever seen her she's like the darkest She's like the blackest woman in the world, hmm. and, she, and she's okay. the model. I mean, yeah. I, I find her to be so attractive. Like, I love. Yeah. Well, I would do really well in a science fiction environment where I could meet women that were green. And yeah, <laughs> you'll just be like Kirk, like, like the diva in the Fifth Element when she gets up and belts out that tune. I'm like, oh, I want to hook up with her. <laughs> you know, even like a, even though she's like a Twi'lek and she's got these weird tentacles, I'm like, no, I'd hit that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another question for you. Um, what's your go-to beer and wine of choice? Ooh, um, I like a healthy IPA. Okay. Ooh, really? Uh, okay. And, and I, I also, I love IPAs and I love, uh, foreign, like, uh, a, a Belgian beer or like a Chimay, but I, I like, you know, all kinds of craft beer. Okay. I like really high end, uh, um, uh, I like high-end beers. All right, so you're not like a you're not a Coors Light guy or like a no, regular beer. Okay, no. okay, no, because I mean, um, to me, beer is so interesting. Yeah, like all the different kinds of beers, and like one of the first thing I th first things I do when I go somewhere is drink the local hooch. Like I love finding like okay, what's what are the best local beers, and also like I'll tell you something. I was at I was at a convention in Fort Collins, Colorado, a couple of years back, like three or four years ago, and I had no idea there's like 300 distilleries in and around Fort Collins. Yeah. And when you're when you're in a place that has like you go to a bar, a good bar, and they have so much local booze on tap, or it, it, I love that. I love trying all that. Like I, I fell in love with. I'd never had sour beer before, mm -hmm. and um, I was drinking a lot of sours. I'm like, this is awesome. There's not a lot of sour beer here in California, oh. but I loved the sours that I was drinking up in Colorado, and I, I, I didn't really know it was a thing. Yeah. But you know, I love that, and I love you know, 
all, that's I just love different kinds of, yeah. of booze. Have you tried the um, Steve Austin beer, the um, El Segundo Stone Cold IPA beer, as of yet, or you never had it? Uh, I don't think I've had that particular beer. Okay, okay. But I try it, and then for wines. You know, I'm a huge fan of all different kinds of wines. I mean, the only I don't like sweet wines. Okay. I like I like dry whites and and, and buttery chardonnays, and then I love all kinds of of red wines. Whether it's you know anything from a Cabernet Sauvignon or a, a Syrah or a Malbec or a, uh, I I love all kinds of wines. Yeah. Really. I know for Elizaviews, you must have a stockpile of wines because you go through them like crazy, right? Oh, uh, we're constantly like. <laughs> Constantly, like there's this wine club, this naked. I belong to Naked Wines. Okay. You know, and I'm always, I'm always buying, getting them by the box. And Elizabeth is getting. I mean, she's her mom's French, so she cooks with wine. We we're always drinking wine. Oh, uh, that's awesome. I mean, we go through three bottles a week. Yeah. On the, on the show. <laughs> Jesus. Half a bottle each. And, uh, and it doesn't get you a little bit toasty, right? You're really, you're still mellow. You're good. Yeah, I, I mean, I. I you know, I, for wine, if I drank a whole bottle, then I feel toasted. Yeah. I'm sure I'm asking for the people. I think I'm pretty much asking for myself. Will you ever do, like, a live drunken Rob, even though, like, you know, you did one for Moonraker. We still have yet to see that. Would you do a- Oh, I did. You know, I, for, I'll tell you something. I did, um, I, I, when I first started on my own channel, I started, I did these shows ripped with Rob. Yes. And I used to get hammered. And it got to the point where... You know, like my relationship with alcohol is I love drinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I, but I love it. I don't necessarily like being drunk, but I love drinking. I love the, the pleasure of it. Like I love the smell of different wines and I love whiskeys. I just love drinking and I could drink a lot. Yeah. And, and I, it got to the point where I was, you know, doing Rip with Rob. I was not feeling, I was drinking too much. And I could see that that could become a problem. Oh, so that's something we won't see in the future, like even like for a special occasion or nothing like that. Maybe, I mean, maybe, you know, I do drink when I do these Zoom parties and stuff, and it's fun. But you have to be careful. I'm also getting older. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I still think of myself as basically a 14-year-old kid (laughs) and, and getting hammered. I mean, I keep waiting for the day. I know that there's some people that are like, grow up, dude. But... I have I haven't hit that point personally for myself yet. I know it's coming, but I haven't hit it quite yet. Uh, Rob, winding down. Um, plug all your, which is a lot. Plug all your YouTube channels, your social media, your website. Plug it all. Well, okay. First of all, my website, theburnetwork.net. Uh, we publish all the letters that people send to the show. There's all kinds of things up there. There's the information for the short story competition you can find up there. It's very participatory. We have things like the three word reviews that we encourage people to write in on. And so there's that, there's the website, there's the YouTube page, the Burnett work that has the shows that we're doing on the Burnett work. I do my daily observations. I do a weekly show called let's get physical media with Dieter Bastian in Saarbrücken, Deutschland, where we talk about physical media. Then I do Fully Articulated, where I talk about uh, toys. Right now I've been doing it with As, uh, Heel vs. Babyface on Twitter and YouTube, where we just talk about wax rhapsodic about action figures. And, um, 
And then I do Elizabeth's whining about movies with my girlfriend Elizabeth, where we do it three times a week. Right now we're doing Western weeks. Yeah. We watch My Darling Clementine. We're watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly tomorrow. And then we're watching Silverado, where we share a bottle of wine and talk about movies. Talk about the movie. Yeah. And um, then I'm on the John Campy show on YouTube in the mornings, usually three times or four times a week. Um, although he's moving right now, he's moving his studio. So yeah. uh, that is Tallulah. We heard Gilbert before. Now Tallulah's here wondering why she doesn't get cookies. And, um, I love it. Uh, and uh, I've got Tango Shalom is playing at a film festival near you over the next six months. It's at a lot of Jewish film festivals, but it's also at some other film festivals. And you might see it in cities like Chicago or Miami or in New Jersey. You just never know. San Diego. But keep a lookout for that. And hopefully we'll sell it to a streamer and it'll show up there. I have a Netflix animated series that I've been working on that will be dropping the news. I just participated in a small way, but the announcement for that series is going to be on February 12th and it debuts sometime in March. And if you like things like, well, high fantasy, whether it's Tolkien or Game of Thrones or something like that, I think this series might appeal to you. Um, but I can't say what it is because <laughs> it's not my place. You yeah. know, on Netflix always they announce their shows and they drop them weeks later. Yeah. But uh, it will drop. There's eight episodes in the first season. They drop all at once, and um, like that's about that's what I've got going on now. So and oh, and our film festival, the Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival, is happening, still going on on my YouTube channel on the Burnett Work, and you can go in and watch all the films. I encourage everybody to watch the films and leave comments and likes and that kind of thing robert man you're an extraordinary individual you're like um you're like the dos equis guys of the youtube world <laughs> you're just like him I'll take it. <laughs> because you know you have your hands in everything and um you know everyone's participating with you and all these connections you made with dieter and and as versus baby face and and you know everybody loves you man and you're you're out there putting out putting it out for the people and you know you also got elizabeth you know with you on youtube so you know people who I just know. you know people who just knew the face now know her they love her as well so like you know i yeah it's funny <laughs> we we you know when you're on youtube you can make merch like yeah. posters and things and, and, and like clothing. And uh, one of the fun things I've had is, is viewers who make artwork for the channel. Yeah. And um, uh, a guy did a great drawing of Elizabeth that I've been working with, Zevius, and I just put it on shirts. And, of course, the first people that order our merch is me. Yeah. <laughs> so I ordered Elizabeth, myself, and uh, the two uh, – Elizabeth's two daughters, Elizabeth – uh, Liz stars Sophie and, and Zoe, yeah. and I ordered us all four different color uh, hoodies with oh. <laughs> Elizabeth's artwork on it. So, buying my own merch. Oh. <laughs> Zevius is also the one that does the theme for physical media, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. He did the theme for physical media. That is correct. Oh, I love that theme. I love it. It's really good. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And he did that artwork, too. And it's that's another thing. You know, I've been so. Um, it's been crazy having people just send you artwork. Yeah. You know, and then people make up these, they make up these um, nicknames for me. Like all my nicknames people gave me, like the Duke of Dope Discourse, the Sommelier of Cinema or Sci-Fi, yeah. the Archbishop of Banterbury. That was a favorite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're... I like Evangelist of the Imagination. And then people do artwork. And I, if they do artwork, then I 
that I put it in the front of the show. Yeah, I still love the <laughs> <laughs> the existential Mister Rogers is my favorite one. Oh, yeah, like that, that, one. that was something that John Campia. I'm like, what does that even mean? But I'm like, I don't know. I'll go with it. And somebody made a great drawing for me, and I'm like, okay, here yeah. it is. Yeah, I'll you, keep it going. Yeah, you see, like that's the community for you. Like, if anybody else, they will have to like charge something for that. But you know, people want to give it to you because they want to contribute. You know, so it's amazing. Yeah, it's just you know? it's crazy. And, and then if, if people are going to do that, I'm happy to put it on the show. Yeah. You know, I think that's another thing is that people know that when they give me something like that, I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'll show it and use it and talk about it. And, and I've just met so many interesting people through the show that I've become friends with, like outside of things. And it's been great. Yeah. And my final question to you, Rob, I think I've told you this a few other times you came on, but I want to see if anything has changed with you. Um, What would the Robert of today tell the Robert of yesterday? Ooh, I, I, I would have told myself to uh, stay a little bit more focused, especially when I was in my early 20s and moved to Los Angeles for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have I could have done so much more if I buckled down in my younger days. I mean, uh, the trade-off would be I wouldn't have, have had nearly as, amount of, as much fun as I did, but I just wish that, um, that I, I spent more time pursuing the things I pursued in my 20s there was a lot of partying that went on you know there was a lot i mean it was kind of a trade-off but i i had access to a lot of of great stuff early on that i didn't necessarily appreciate or utilize the way that i should have but then again i was in my 20s and 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 how many people do do that but uh it would have helped if i could have if i could have could have sent somebody a message through time or sent myself a message through time i would have said hey man here's what you need here's 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 moments in your life where you should have buckled down and done a little bit more work mm. well you know how they say live and learn you know but yeah. you know but if none of that stuff didn't happen you probably wouldn't be where you're at right now so like everything works out right that's it true is. it would have yeah. i just would have been in a different place yeah yeah so yeah and um I know you talked about it before, but will there ever be a free enterprise upgrade? God, well, I'm trying. You know, okay. I want to. I want to upgrade the original free enterprise, and you know, William Shatner is going to be 90 in March. Wow, March 22nd. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah, he's the most coherent 90 year old I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, like wow. Oh my god, and, yeah. and he's just still active. It's incredible. Yeah, incredible. I saw his one man show not too well was it, a couple of years ago, and it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, he's amazing. Guy's amazing. Yeah, and so are you, Rob. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. And I appreciate you. And thank you for putting your content out there. Um, when I'm at work, you cheer me up when I hear you, and your melodious tones from your voice calms me down. So uh, I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you so much for well, everything that you, you do. Thank you so much, Mr. Guzman. I appreciate all that. <laughs> yes, and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. <laughs> <laughs>